Welcome to the Raft Podcast, Let's Fix Things, where Chus and myself, Joe Fletcher, explore the world of connected experiences, spanning from connected services, platforms, and devices over industries such as transportation, smart home, logistics, healthcare, and media. Chus and I started this podcast to explore design and strategy topics in more depth coming from the projects we handle in our design consultancy. Now, on to the show. Good morning. Hey, man. Hey, so today we're going to be fairly quick because you're off to Berlin. Yep. You're heading to a chatbot summit. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> I know chatbots sound very much two years ago, but actually there's a, a summit or a conference in Berlin uh, with 1,500 attendees and I think something like 75 speakers. They have these these quick fire chats about people sharing all of their different stories from from different sides of of bot life, how it's been in the past two years. So, um, I I heard there's somebody from Lufthansa coming talking about how they technically implemented their their own bot called Mildred, and there's all of these stories that now are finally showing how it is to make a a, a the idea of a chat bot something that is real and customer facing. Well, I think the, the chat bots were just on the hype cycle. Right. It's, it's everybody came out with them, but now people are finding uses, especially large companies. Cause yes, Lufthansa, I saw Deloitte, I saw Deutsche Telekom. Um, I don't know if Vodafone is there, but I would guess. And so you're seeing a lot of these pop up, especially in customer service. So I certainly don't think they're, they're going away. I still think they are very much in the future. We're working on one at Raft actually. Yep. So then that will, I don't know when that will find its way to our website, probably in 2018 sometime. Uh, but they are they are still around. They're still going, and and they uh, they should still show a lot of promise. Yeah, we've gotten to the point where when I ask for chat support on a website, I'm never really sure, and I always mm. I'm not sure if I if I'm allowed to ask, are you a bot, or if I'm offending somebody else that is just remote working. When I was on AT and T's website, I asked the person because uh, I was asking about their IoT technology for um, smart home. And the answers felt so canned that I asked the person, which I eventually found out was a person, if they were a bot or a human. And they kept writing back, I am an assistant here to help you. And I said, you're not answering the, I had to ask it three times because they would not answer the question. And finally, the person, I believe, went off script and said, yes, I'm human in a very sort of annoyed way. Yeah. Um, But what's funny is that even when it is people, if they're on such a script, it feels like it's a bot anyway so yeah. yeah the last time i had contact with one is actually two days ago and i decided he or she was human because of the amount of typos and the weird grammar but yeah. i bet i bet there's companies that are making these idiosyncrasies into bots as well so we can't detect them the uncanny valley of grammar errors <laughs> uh so on today's episode we're going to talk about amazon and whole foods but that's really to talk about How do designers come up with customer journeys? So Joe, can you first explain a little bit what Whole Foods is? Because us Dutchies maybe don't know. Yes. And I I know we have listeners who are are global, uh, not just in the U.S. So Whole Foods within the U.S. is a string of high-end supermarkets that sell organic or more natural-based foods. Uh, it's, It's quite a big grocery store, but it's also quite expensive. And so, Chus, uh, as you pointed out, you thought Whole Foods would be wholesale, yep. which would be cheaper. Uh, no, this is quite the opposite. It is, it is much more high-end. 
uh, and Amazon purchased them for $13.4 billion. Uh, dollars. That's uh, the price of uh, of a small country. Yes. And people have been both positing over what this means and scratching their heads over why. Because it's been this theory that Amazon has almost existed to drive brick and mortar retail out of business. And then people were surprised when Amazon opened up their bookstore. And then they tested out Amazon Go which was the grocery store that didn't have any cashiers and you could just pick up what you wanted and leave. And now there's a, there's Whole Foods, which is over 100 grocery stores across the U.S. And what are they going to do with it? So I, I hope it's not as simple as just reassigning the, the logos on the stores and calling them all Amazon Go and getting rid of all the people that work in the stores, right? Well, that's one theory, obviously. I mean, it's a very easy conclusion to jump to. And from what I've read on the business analysis side, there's been a few other ideas as well that Amazon has been promoting Amazon Fresh for a decade now, which is their grocery delivery service. And Whole Foods can now act as a customer of that delivery service, not just for Whole Foods purchasing food from Amazon, but also distributing it. All right, so people can pick up the food that they want from the store or Whole Foods now acts as a series of hundreds of distribution centers for Amazon. So they pick up even better logistics, which is a massive competitive advantage for them. One other theory has been that Amazon needs a way to sell some of their goods. I thought this, I thought this was, this analysis was a little bit odd, but that you could carve out an area of Whole Foods where you could sell Amazon specific products like Amazon Fire, or is that what their Kindle version is called? Yep. Okay. Uh, or Amazon Echo, or the the Dot, or these types of products, where they could get prime placement, uh, similar to the Apple Store, where it's not just sold online, but they are sold in brick and mortar. And Achus, obviously, as you said, this idea that Amazon Go is being brought mainstream. Uh, there's just an article that McDonald's stock shot up because McDonald's has started to replace cashiers with these automated systems, right? So they're really cutting down on their costs. And this has been a constant issue with brick and mortar is that obviously you have the cost of the rent and the staff and staff is quite a large cost. So if you bring down your operating costs and your capital and well, no, it'd be your operating costs in this case, you know, you have a much more feasible business model of delivering products at lower prices with a broad variety of products as Amazon does online, but now being able to do it on bricks and mortar. And, and when you're saying delivering, I'm, I just literally hear delivering because, you know, Amazon right now is pretty much a home delivery company for many other things. The brick and mortar stores are really secondary. They're, I think, more of a promotional factor than actually something that gives them profit. So do you think Amazon is also considering using the huge like network that's behind these whole food stores to maybe enable food delivery in a bigger way than they're currently offering? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's exactly one of the, the business analysis that I've read is that you get, you know, hundreds of more distribution centers. And Amazon has been trying uh, drastically with Prime to cut down delivery times, you know, to under a day. I can order something and I can get it within an hour or two hours. And this expands that. Um, I, I, I think that's maybe the obvious way of looking at things, but it is, you know, what could be a very quick win. What's really interesting in this is how we as designers start to think about this and approach this. Because what happens when 
an acquisition or a merger of this size uh, takes place is business analysts start to analyze, as you would imagine, the situation. They say, what industries are each of these companies in? What is their growth trajectory? Where are they spending capital and operating expenses? Uh, what are shareholders you know, looking at? What do they think is important? And they analyze it from a pure business perspective. Now, what's so interesting as designers is how do you think about creating a customer journey for something that has never existed before? And that's, that's I think, one of the key points for today's podcast. Yeah. And I can also imagine that doing research into something that doesn't exist is, is one of the tougher things. You, you can't really go and ask people if they would like something or uh, how they felt when they tried something out because it's just not really there. It's hard to imagine. And the research response to this would be, well, you observe. You pull, pull out more anthropological uh, methods where you are looking for latent needs, not what people are saying, but what they're doing. But the question that I have in this case is how can you even look at what people are doing or look at latent needs if the types of behaviors or types of customer journeys that you're thinking about don't exist? There's just no feasible way of looking for that unless you break it down to the basics of man need food, you know? So how do you go about approaching that? So for our audience that has never worked with a tool like customer journeys, could you maybe like in two sentences explain it a bit? Uh, sure. The customer journey, as it sounds, break down, breaks down uh, what customers go through oftentimes with having awareness of a product, purchasing a product, using a product, and then possibly extending that product family. So this could be anything from a very abstract level of how do they understand the product exists and how do they get access to it, all the way down to the details of uh, you know, a journey could look at specifically how does somebody use the product within the life cycle of that product? So once they've purchased it and they bring it home, how do they start to use it? How does that product grow with them? But it's essentially a tool to understand how people use a product or service over time. Yeah, you know, what I think is great about it is it, it, it forces you to think when you're just thinking about the service or the design in general, it forces you to think about, okay, so how will advertisement work? How will the product design work? How will the delivery of this product work? How will the end of life of this product work? So it, it brings together all of the disciplines of design even before you start it. And it helps you um, create an abstract level of thinking before you start to talk all of the experts that will be designing the small bits of this. So it's a much more of a, a eagle's eye view on, uh, on the complete product cycle instead of just a small thing like what is the physical product going to look like or what is the actual service going to look like. So the question becomes, how do you create a journey for a customer out of services that don't exist? And we go about this, and, and we've had to do this for a few different clients thus far within our work. So we have a little bit of experience with this. And there are three things. I, I, I think these are three things that we go about doing. And the first is those typical research yep. ways. Because even if they don't give you all of your answers, and even if it's just understanding the latent needs that exist at the moment, you still get an understanding of the base level drivers and desires from users. You may never have known what a mobile phone could do for you, but you can understand 
before mobile phones that people had a need to get in touch with somebody, that people had a need to communicate, that maybe somebody was bored while they were taking a train. Now, whether or not you connect this to, oh, I can put a computer in somebody's pocket and call it a phone, and that will remedy these situations, that's where vision comes in. But that's the first part is that you really break down uh, these drivers and these needs and you do that through um, research. And and the stories that you hear is that in the beginning when they had the huge mobile phone, I I think everybody can remember these these pictures of of the guy holding the mobile phone with the battery pack separately or the one that actually just fits in one hand. These things were huge. So if you would have asked users with that thing in mind, like, would you like to use this? And the first thing that people would see, well, that is not really portable. I, I, I need a special bag for that thing. And because they see all of these big problems, people will always, in a direct question, um, tell you that they won't need it. But what the thing is that you need to do is you need to see beyond the current day limitations and see if the possibilities are actually addressing these needs that people have. And don't look at the technology that you have in your hand at the moment you're trying to design it. So you're leading directly and perfectly into point number two. So if point number one is really breaking down using uh, ethnographic and anthropological design research methods to get latent drivers or just purely get needs from people, right? What do people want to do? The second part is to have a vision on where things can go. And I think this is the gut point uh, and also understanding global trends and understanding what's happening within the market But as a designer, having a vision on where something will go, where something can go, is so powerful. Because simply understanding needs, knowing that, for example, before mobile phones existed, uh, if I needed to get in contact with somebody, the answer could have been, put more payphones everywhere. Every street corner has a payphone, right? But you really needed to understand what technology was coming. And you needed to understand what that could do in order to have a vision of how these needs and how these trends, whether that's technology or whether it's economic or whether it's about migration, really can impact those needs. And I still think that this is where the the eagle eye view that we were discussing beforehand is really important because you're talking about something that will take several years to get into any point of being actual of benefit to your final user. You mostly, when you're thinking of these super new things, you need to get all of the parts of your business aligned to be able to produce these things in a way that actually the whole user group will be served by it, not just the early adopters. And it's something that I hear very often um, among designers when something new is presented by Apple or, or Intel or, or Oculus VR or whatever. They're like, oh, I worked on something like this exactly already 10 years ago. Why wasn't that there sooner? Well, that was because you worked on the product and not on the entire life cycle. And good ideas are everywhere, but the actual follow through and the actual design of the whole process to get these to market into people's hands who understand what it's for and why they want it, that's where the actual work is. The ability to connect an idea or a vision with a need and have it at the right time is so rare. And having the wrong time is, in, is pretty much indistinguishable from having the wrong product. Yeah, Nintendo had VR goggles already somewhere in the 90s, but that never worked because the technology wasn't ready and the customers didn't understand it, right? And now everybody's all like, wow, VR, AR. 
So it's it's about market readiness, but a little bit more than the hype curve. You need to figure out how this product needs to work before people will accept it. Now, the third thing, and, and this is the last one, that if you've understood the latent needs, if you've understood a vision, you know, whatever you may have for that vision on where this product can go, the next part is obviously bringing in what you have to work with. So in the case of Amazon and Whole Foods, you have these two giant companies, but break these down. And you can use the sort of Elon Musk Tesla way of breaking it down to first principles, which is still about drivers. I prefer the development sort of Amazon web services, since we're talking about Amazon, way of breaking things down into primitives. So what this means is that you take a product or a service and you break it down into the primitive components that it's made up of. So you can imagine, like if I take my phone that I carry around with me, chat is a primitive, right? Email is a primitive. You could probably even break that down to a, you know, text processor is, is a primitive. I have this ability to have a contact list, right? I have all these components. And if I continue to break these down, then I can see what I have to work with. And I really have all these different pieces to work with and I can figure out how to plug these in to solve these different needs, these different yeah. drivers that customers have. And then you really have to build this back up and understand where the current business models are. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really steps like, you know, four through 10 in that case, since we're just looking at one, two, and three uh, for these steps. But I think a lot of designers, uh, as you just said, look at what's in front of you, right? What do I have to work with? And if you can break things down to primitives, you may see all these new options that you never thought because you can say, wow, you know, this, this piece over here that's part of a larger whole, that really applies great to this one part of this, this customer journey and this need. And if we could connect these two things, wow, you know, what could we do with that? Yeah, exactly. Like if you look at the mobile phone, uh, like you were just breaking it down, if you have chat and if you have phone calls and if you have emails and you have a contact list, you see that the contact list is actually a really important part that needs to be able to slot into all these different things. So the moment you start to look at these primitives, you see which ones actually really need to be smooth and accessible by many other things and which ones live on top of that. So you'll, you'll start to see facilitating primitives in a way that many, uh, many need and others on top that are more services where you could start to see email as a service of communication between the contacts, which is more on the base level. And you're, you're turning them into Lego blocks that can click on top of each other. But some of these are really basic ones that really need a lot of effort. And other ones are the ones that you can just plop on top. And maybe later on, they become a basic for something else. But you just need to chop them up into blocks. So everybody in the organization will be able to see how to recombine these into new things. Well, just think about the, the Amazon Whole Foods, right? I mean, this is how Amazon built up Amazon Web Services that you have all these components that you can plug and play. And I, I absolutely love that Lego example. And now I can think of Amazon grocery services, right? Which I break this down into perishables and non-perishables. And then that changes the way that I do logistics. Yep. And then I can break this down into Amazon retail services where it's a point of sale, it's inventory management, and you can sell that, right? So all these different stores are having cost and operating uh, cost issues for their brick and mortar counterparts because they can't compete with Amazon online. If you're Amazon and you have these, these working primitives, it doesn't matter if it's a grocery store. It doesn't matter if it's a clothing store. It doesn't matter if it is a electronic store. 
you can sell these primitives to people in the same exact way that they do it on Amazon Web Services, but they have created a plug and play system. And they can look at the needs from different customer journeys. And a customer doesn't always have to be an end user. A customer can be another company, right? So I, I think that's one thing for you know, designers to always remember is that users are not always individuals who go to a store and consume things. A user, customer, can be a company. It can be a team in a company. It can be an end user. So there's lots of different definitions here that we can be working with. Coming back to this and, and summing up this, uh, since you got to head to the airport yeah. within minutes, <laughs> the reason that we used the Amazon and Whole Foods as an example for today is because we felt people were looking at this and sort of scratching their heads and assuming that the way that you combine these is Amazon does Amazon fresh and it was just naturally going to be, you know, that was what it was going to be with Whole Foods. But we, what we wanted to explain is that you can look at this in so many different ways as a designer by first understanding what are the drivers of needs and desires of customers and looking at that customer journey. Second is that as a designer, you really need to have a vision on where you can take this customer journey because that vision is going to allow you to see things that aren't there right now. And that vision can be based on trends, which are business, which are economic, which are market, which are industry, but it's that knowledge of what's existing in the world around you that you can take and you can plug and play. And lastly, breaking down the products that you're looking at into primitives or into, you know, stepping back to first principles um, is really a great way of understanding what you can plug and play into different steps of the customer journey or into different customer journeys themselves. So Chus, after wrapping that up, is there anything to add or do we need to go? I think I'm going to have a chat with some people in uh, Berlin now. Okay. Well, then have a great time in Berlin, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, man. Later. Bye. Bye.